My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Cockett's Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. I have a Bible trivia question for you. Which miracle of Christ, other than Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead, was recorded in all four of the Gospels? That miracle will be Pastor Jones' focus for today's message. But before we join him in today's study, let me ask you another question that's far from trivial. Have you ever felt that God was being too hard on you? Maybe you felt he asked you to help people who are ungrateful or just plain cruel. Maybe you were doing well at one time in your service for Christ, but somehow you got disillusioned. Maybe you were even a leader in your church at one point, but now you feel like an outsider. Despite how you feel about your circumstances right now, might God be up to something good and important in your life through such situations? I hope you'll listen as Pastor Jones takes you through one of the most famous of all the miracles that Jesus performed, but at a time when Christ's disciples were greatly struggling with their attitudes. Good morning, this is Pastor Lane Jones, so glad that you joined us for another Beacon of Hope broadcast. And today I'd like to start out with some unique facts about the account that we're going to be studying from the life of Christ. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And first, this is the only miracle besides Jesus' resurrection from the dead that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's interesting that both Matthew and Mark also record the execution of John the Baptist in the same chapter as the feeding of the 5,000, and thus in both Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6. And by the way, if you're able to follow along in your Bible, you want to turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start out about verse 7. In both of those accounts, Matthew 14, Mark 6, they set together in close proximity two different feasts. And the first feast is the feast for Herod Agrippa's birthday, which was a wild party at uh, the palace. And the second feast is a feast that Jesus provided out in the middle of nowhere for a multitude of people. And so those two different, in some ways you'd say celebrations, be uh, dealt with to, to together today as we consider the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so again, I'm going to start Mark chapter 6, about verse 7. Before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to study your word uh, with these folks. We thank you for those that listen. And we pray for any new listeners that you might help them to be able to concentrate and hear your word and hear what you have to say to them as an individual who listens, you can speak to. And we're grateful for that. And so we just pray that you would speak to all of our hearts, help me to be clear with your word and understandable. And may you be glorified in this, we pray. May lives be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 6, um, in starting at verse 7, we find that the, the 12 apostles were sent out for the first time, I believe, uh, to actually get a chance to preach themselves and to proclaim the coming kingdom of the Messiah. So I'll start in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. It says, And he, Jesus, called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. 
Now, this uh, account is rather interesting, is it not, that Jesus had been uh, leading his disciples, teaching them, and doing a lot of things, obviously, with them. And now, for the first time, it's like he gives them a little bit of opportunity to minister themselves and to take, and, and then he gives them some special uh, abilities, some powers from the Lord to be able to do this. Uh, he gave them power uh, over unclean spirits, for instance. And so can you imagine, he also, in one of the other passages, uh, it's about uh, giving them the ability to heal. And so can you imagine these guys going out and for the first time being able to actually do the things that Christ had been doing? And uh, what an opportunity that would have been. And so they were supposed to go out and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I'm a pastor, and so uh, some of you who have never done this before, I will tell you that um, that the, one of the things that the Lord says about going into the pastorate, he said you can't be a novice, the idea you can't be a beginner or kind of, um, uh, you know, too young and inexperienced. And one of the reasons why is because lest you can your heart be lifted up with pride. People come up to you after a given service, and they may say something, oh, you know, that was a, such a wonderful message or never heard anything like that or or, or whatever compliments and, and I know that many of them are, are done in, in a good spirit and, and hopefully are an encouragement but I'll tell you this too that Satan will send you some people um, that will that will pat you on the back too much and will uh, really be saying things about you that aren't true and a lot of times, actually, when people are complimentary, um, it's it's not. It, we have to learn as uh, as preachers of the gospel. If we're going to be if, uh, at it very long, we have to learn that not to take uh, uh, too much to heart of what people say. Because they, again, uh, we're, we're very grateful when God works in a person's heart, but it doesn't make us any better than we were before we walked in. And the truth is, we, um, as um, even as preachers, we're uh, we're still uh, battling our sin natures just like everybody else. And so it's a heady thing. It really is. When you get a chance to be the preacher, when, when all the eyes are on you, and when the people come up and shake your hand and, and tell you how much uh, that meant to them, or when you see someone delivered, uh, in this case, uh, these guys given the ability to, to cast out demons, something, again, that would be a sign of, of the fact that they were preaching the, the true gospel at that point. Because uh, how did the people know that, that Jesus would be the Messiah? So we gave them extra abilities, uh, miraculous things that they could do. And so, again, I will just tell you that it's a very, it's a very heady thing when, when someone is is able to do this kind of thing. And I've never cast out a demon. I've never um, seen a person uh, who's lame get up and walk, anything like that. And can you imagine? Can you imagine when these guys are, are seeing these type of, of miracles taking place under their hands now? The uh, encouragement that would be to them, but also the temptation to think, hey, well, you know, we're kind of doing the same things that Jesus is doing. And man, we're, I'm sure we're not on that level, but at the same time, we're getting, we're getting close. We're, we're actually able to do some things here. Well, that, keep that in mind. But here they are. These 12 disciples get a chance to go out in, in groups of two. So now there's six different uh, groups going out and spreading the word. And they're to, supposed specifically to talk about the gospel of the kingdom and that people should repent. And again, as Mark says in verse 13, they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. So this is an exciting thing that's going on with these men. And of a temptation for them to get proud and to think that, um, you know, maybe they could do one up better than the other or, or to get the, you know, when all the people's eyes are on them. 
Now, the next thing that happens in Mark chapter 6 uh, that we want to talk about is, is the um, beheading of John the Baptist. And this is that first banquet that we mentioned earlier. It says in verse 14, Now King Herod heard of him, of Jesus, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, It is Elijah. Others said, it is the prophet. There was a prophecy about a, mage, about a prophet coming, uh, named, but other, or one of the prophets. That's another thing they were saying. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had set and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So let's just think about this um, just for a second as to what's going on. Herod has um, developed a romantic interest in his brother's wife. John the Baptist, um, a, a godly man, a, a prophet of God, has gone to Herod and said, you can't do this. It's wrong. It's wrong for you to take your brother's wife. Now, Herod understood that was wrong and uh, did it anyway. But Herod's new wife, Herodias, got word of what John the Baptist had said, whether he said it in front of her or not, and she would never forgive John for what he said. Matter of fact, it says in verse 19, Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So you can imagine, Herod throws him in jail for Herodias' sake. Uh, but he listens to Johnny. In fact, he likes to have John come and, and talk to him. And when John would tell him about sins in his life and things that he needed to deal with, Herod would actually try to comply with some of the things. Uh, again, he don't think that Herod is, 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 under, uh, is being converted here. He's under conviction. And he's, he's starting to at least do some, some right things. But he is still holding God at arm's length. Basically, I'll do certain things you know, that uh, I want to do, but when it comes to things like uh, not marrying my brother's wife, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so, unfortunately, here it is, is, is in a spot that many people get to, and that is they're under conviction. They know that God wants them to surrender their lives to him, and that means repent of their sins. It's exactly what the disciples had were out preaching. I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn to Christ. And I may be talking to some of you, and you have made what we would call a profession of faith sometime earlier in your life. And that is that you may have gone forward in a service, or you had someone talk to you, and you prayed. And um, as far as what other people have told you, you've, you've accepted Christ. And I, I can say that that's how, that's how I was saved. I, I accepted the Lord as Savior um, at five years old. But I can also say that there are times when, when honestly, you're not turning your heart to God. You're not repenting of your sin. The reality is you're just really wanting something from God. If you've never repented of your sin, if you've never really turned from your sin to God, you've never been truly converted. And so Herod knows that John the Baptist is a righteous man. He knows what John the Baptist is saying is true, even about him not marrying his, his brother's wife. But the bottom line is this, Herod still wants to run Herod's life. 
And so Herod is in a very dangerous situation where he knows that he needs to turn his life over to the Lord. He needs to be forgiven for his sins. He needs to repent. But he doesn't want to do it. it in his mind, it's going to cost me too much. It's going to cost him his relationship with his wife, or maybe he hadn't married her yet when he was mulling this through in his mind. Going to cost him this romantic relationship, or maybe now that he's married, his wife would never understand it. She would never. She would be extremely angry with him if he if he repented and 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 uh, admitted that he had done the wrong thing. And so Herod is in kind of a state of limbo between: Should I really turn my life over to the Lord and repent, or do I want to just kind of go on and live for me and forget about all this thing about being convicted about my sin? And then it says this, very interesting. Then an opportune day came. Now, I think that is a very interesting statement. And my question is, opportune for whom? To whom was this a good opportunity? Well, let's keep reading. When Herod on his birthday, so it's, it's a special day for Herod in his life. It's his birthday. And you know how you sometimes have a celebration. Well, he's a king, so they're going to have a big celebration. When on his birthday, he gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias, his daughter, herself came in, her name, by the way, is Salome, one of the other gospels, we know her name, and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. This is opportune, not for, uh, unfortunately, for Herod, for God's work in his life. This is an opportune day for Satan to get Herod to make a watershed decision. And so we see there's a celebration. There's probably lots of uh, alcohol going and flowing. Uh, There's this lewd dance that is done in front of Herod and his friends. And so he makes this rash promise, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, what do you want, to Salome, his, his stepdaughter. And she went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask? And she, this is the mother, this is Herodias, the one that hates John the Baptist, she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately, Salome came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner, commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. I just want you to think about this scene for a moment, this first banquet in the chapter. Banquet of uh, luxury and a palace. Um, a banquet, really, of um, immorality, as this, this young, young woman comes in and dances in a very, I'm sure, a very lewd way in front of these men. And then a banquet that ends up in great violence, not merely to John the Baptist, but what it did to Herod's soul. That man, um, unfortunately, that was the, I'm I'm convinced it was the breaking point in his life where he basically chose, okay, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to turn to God. I am going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, I'm just not, I'm not going to turn from my sin. I love my sin too much. 
and uh, and he really makes that watershed decision that I'll kill an innocent man rather than turn uh, and and make a clean break with my sin. Now imagine Jesus gets word of this, by the way. And it didn't, obviously it's not like today, we have instant, you know, satellite access and all that kind of stuff, so you know almost at the moment when something happens. But Jesus will get word of this, and this is one of the things that's going to happen over the next uh, few days. The apostles, remember, have been out preaching, so now we come back to them, verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So now the, this, the apostles are really excited. They come back and, huh, we, we, we anointed this person and they were healed and, and this demon-possessed guy was delivered and we were preaching and this happened and I'm sure it wasn't all positive, but there were many, many good responses and people coming in and all the eyes were on them and people were listening to them preach and, and, and they were responding and, and, and great things were happening and they're excitedly telling Jesus all these different things and the stories that they had from, from their experiences. And he said to them, this is Jesus now talking to the, to the twelve, he says, come aside for your, uh, by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. That's a great idea. And I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those disciples and I've, I've been on a busy preaching tour and all the excitement of that, and you come back and you hear all the things that the other guys have done and you've done, and, and, and all of a sudden Jesus says, you know what, you guys, it's been really busy. Why don't we go apart for a little while and get some, get some rest? And I'll tell you what, that would have sounded really good to me. Now notice what he sa- why, why he says this. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So you can imagine, these, these fellows, uh, there's so many people now flocking around Christ. This is one of the, the high points of his popularity in his public ministry. And, and uh, there's so many people coming around, and, and maybe here's a, oh, I see John who was out preaching with, with say, Peter. And, and hey, John, I, 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 it's good to see you again. And, and, you know, could you introduce me to Jesus? Or, or, or you know, all these different people that are coming around and, and asking for help. And, 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 and it looks, again, remember these fellows, these are young men. Probably most of them are unmarried. They're young guys. They're, they're excitedly um, proclaiming the kingdom because they're believing that Jesus as the Messiah is going to come and overthrow Rome. That's what they think in the, right now in their minds. They, they haven't really got it clear what Christ is going to do. They don't understand the cross at all. So they're thinking this kingdom is coming and all these people are starting to flock to him and this is exactly what they're looking for. And yet Jesus says, you know, we need to, we need to get a little time to, to wrestle a bit. And, and they're thinking, yeah, absolutely. So verse 32, so they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Now that makes all kinds of sense to me. And that is that the... Um, uh, that, that I would want to get out of there and get a little break for a while. And boy, that sounds like a great idea. Now, verse 33, we, we have a little bit of a problem here. It says, but the multitude saw them departing. And you can imagine, I, maybe it was a little kid. Who knows? Sometimes they have good eyes, you know, and they're looking out there and they, oh, hey, there's a boat out there and there's 12 guys and there's Jesus out there. And, and, they, and, they, and they begin to put it together and somebody yells, hey, they're leaving. And, you know, if you're on shore and you were hoping to talk to Jesus that day, maybe you had a sick loved one or whatever. That would be distressing news, and as it is, but but all of a sudden people start pointing, and and there goes the boat, and there's Jesus and his disciples in them, in in that boat, and so they're 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 all uh they're, the people are, are are beginning to pass through this crowd now, 
Remember, they didn't have enough leisure to eat, so there's a lot of people around there, and they begin to see that they're leaving, and they see what direction they're heading. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and I'll tell you that the Sea of Galilee is not that big. And where the disciples are headed with Jesus, they're not headed all the way across it. And it's only at its widest point, I think eight miles, eight and a half miles across. But they're actually going just a little chunk. They're going, they're, they're, I believe it's going like north, northeast, okay, along the, the, the sea. Not, not a real huge distance. And, and honestly, you could walk around it and, and meet them. And that's exactly what many of the people did. And you can imagine as now they're going through little villages and towns, and all of a sudden people are noticing, like, here's 20, 40, 60 people going, and all at once it's like, what's going on? And people say, well, well, we're Jesus, see that boat out there? Uh, that's Jesus of Nazareth, and he's, he's headed somewhere, and we're, we're trying to keep up with him. And so as they go, more people decide, guess what? We're going to go too. And so by the time that Jesus and his disciples get to where they're going to land on a deserted place, that's not deserted any longer. Verse 33, I'll read it to you again, it says, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there, and, and ran there on foot from all the cities. So it's, again, just as I described to you, as they're running through these towns and villages and cities, they're, they're, they're telling people what's happening, that Jesus of Nazareth is going a certain direction, and, and they get joined by others. And they arrived before them. So they actually beat Jesus to the landing spot. They can see pretty much where he's going. And they came together to him. Now, if you're one of the disciples and, and try to put yourself in their sandals for a little bit, you've been pretty busy. You've, you've been glad to help people and to try to be a blessing to them. But now you're, you're hoping to get a little vacation. You're just hoping to get a few days away with Jesus, to have some time with him yourselves, and, uh, and to and be with him. And uh, So you'd, you'd like a little time away. I, I don't know about you, but uh, that means a lot to me at times. I, I know that my wife and I have really been blessed. We have four kids, and we've been blessed to get away. And we're coming up on our 30th anniversary, thank the Lord. Um, uh, as I'm speaking to you, it's just a, it's a few days away. And so we've got a special thing. We're actually going to go where, where we honeymooned uh, 30 years ago. And our kids are planning on joining us. And so we're looking forward to all of that. Now, um, uh, when you get a time away, I, I, this, is, no, this is where I'm at. I'm just telling you. I am not a big uh, bed and breakfast guy. You know what I mean? Uh, the Airbnb are, is a different ball of wax. I, I like that. But the bed and breakfast, I, I'm not, when I want to get away with my wife, I really want to be with my wife. I want to have time to talk to her. I want to have time to do things with her. I'm really not looking to sit at the breakfast table and, and communicate with Joe and Frank and Pete and Alice over there. And I, I just, It's just me. I'm sorry. It's just the way I am. Uh, when I get away, I, I'd, I'd like some, especially with my wife, I want to have time with my wife. I want to be able to talk to her. I want to spend time with her. Well, I think the disciples are feeling the same way. It's like when we get away, we get a little time. We're glad to be with the crowd when they're there. But when, when we get some time with just with Jesus, we'd like to be able to have that. And so I think 
if you were in their shoes, I think you'd probably feel the same way. And that is, as you're starting to think that land that boat and you see this crowd of people, and you were hoping to get a little time to, I don't know, maybe they did some fishing while they were out there in the sea before they landed, but you know, you're hoping to get a little time, maybe to, and I probably didn't throw the football back in those days, but to do some, some just some kicking around and relaxing and to listen to Jesus yourself and maybe tell him a few more stories of what you've been through uh, when you had that preaching tour. But when uh, when they, they, they're getting ready to land, it says they arrived before them and came together to him. So the, this crowd is not only some of them are waiting, but there are masses, literally masses of people that are on their way to that same spot. So what is Jesus' response to this? Well, it says in verse 34, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion on them. That means basically he teared up because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. These are people like, um, again, he's moved with compassion. The idea of sheep without a shepherd, that is they're leaderless. They, they really needed someone to help them. And of course, Jesus uh, will later call himself the good shepherd. And so now what does he do? He's got his disciples and they were looking for a vacation. Jesus was looking for a vacation. His, his, uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, uh, has just been executed. And by the way, that's a foreshadowing of what would happen to Christ himself. It's in Matthew chapter 17. He was talking to his disciples. Um, and, he, and he said this. He said, indeed, Elijah is coming. I'm in chapter 17 and verse 11. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did him whatever they wished. Likewise shall the Son of Man all uh, is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus was literally pointing out to his disciples, John the Baptist is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to me. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. And so Christ has that on his heart. He's been, he's been busy. The crowds have been crowding in on him. Uh, it's not like he is 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 uh, been sitting in a glass tower, you know, and has been resting up. He he's been busy like like his disciples have been. And, and but his response when he gets there is he's moved with compassion. He sees them as as leaderless people who need a need, need a leader. And then he says he taught them. He began to teach them many things. Now Matthew records in in his. Uh, chapter uh, on this same account that he also healed people uh, who had gathered. So there were people that were bringing their sick, etc. And that's probably many of them, I'm sure, were coming. Um, And so he was healing them as well. But he gives his vacation up. Jesus is really doing this. Now, again, if you were, uh, I'm supposed to go away here. Uh, By the time that this comes out, I'll have been on vacation for several days, Lord willing. But if, if you were to tell me, you know, someone you know, is, is going to die in the church who's, a, you know, very significantly going to need, your family's going to need you. By God's grace, I, I pray that I would say, look, you know, if, if I need to be around here, uh, I, that I, I've got to sacrifice what I'd want to do in order to uh, be a blessing to, to a family that is in need. Um, there have been times, by the way, where uh, I've had uh, one of our leaders in our church, or, or even more than one, 
who've stepped up at a time when I'm leaving for vacation and someone maybe died or had a serious issue, and they said, look, you go ahead and, um, and we'll take care of this. And that's been very kind of, of some of the people in, in, in my church. But there, I have to be willing to say, okay, I, I'll set this aside, a time, uh, aside the time that I was going to be away. I, I'm just saying this. It's not an easy thing for any of us to do. But Jesus is, is clearly giving up his vacation time to spend with these people and to teach them many things and to heal them. And now it says this, when the day was now far spent. Okay, so disciples are supposed to have some time to relax. And let's remember and put ourselves back in their spot for a second. Because what did they do once Jesus gets to shore and begins to teach everybody? Well, they may be able to do some support things like organize the people or, you know, get them. Or maybe they just sat around and listened. Uh, again, they're not probably going to be able to go off and do too much themselves. I probably didn't do too much sightseeing. It's a wilderness area anyway. Uh, they probably sat there pretty much and listened. And it's like, well, we went to to go on vacation and now we're doing another service and we're just sitting here and listening. And so the disciples have a request here as the day is waxing on. It's getting late in the day. It says, um, when the day was now far spent, in verse 35 of Mark 6, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Which means, Lord, you've really preached too long. You've been too long with these people. And then they make this statement, and, and this is a conclusion, and I get it, but I think this is where sometimes we can get. Send them away. Lord, send them away. Now they have a reason. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So it's like, Lord, have you thought about the fact that these people are, are going are gonna to need something to eat? This is not a, a good place. Don't, don't think about it being like America where you can just you know, pull into a McDonald's or, or stop at a Wendy's drive-thru or go to, even go to a grocery store. They're in the middle of nowhere. And if you've got maybe some, some people that uh, are older, um, children as well, they could be in trouble. And so they're saying, you, you need to let these people go and get something to eat. And of course, that would be, in, in uh, I think, the minds of the disciples, just knowing how I would think about this. We'll, and maybe we'll get a little time now with, with Christ ourselves. Maybe we'll have a little bit of downtime here if we can send the people away. But Jesus turns around and he makes an interesting command to his disciples. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And if you're one of the disciples, you're looking at a crowd. Now, Again, this is in four different accounts. Every one of them says there were 5,000 men. But uh, I think it's Matthew that adds the fact that plus women and children. Now, uh, on a given Sunday morning, we have a a decent amount of men that come to the church. I don't know if it's maybe 50-50, but keep something in mind. A man in the Jewish uh, culture, I believe, is like 13 and up. Okay, and if you took 13 and up on the male side, and then you take... The, those who are even male children and, uh, you know, so 12 and under, as well as the rest of all, all the females, you're going to have, in all probability, more of the women and children than you have of the, of the men. So a 
men crowd is looking more like a at least 10, maybe 15 to 20,000 people are there. Now think about that. And Jesus, after these guys now have thought they were on vacation, they've been listening to him all day. They may have been maybe doing a little bit of crowd help, crowd control maybe. But now he's saying, um, no, we're not going to send them away. I want you to give them something to eat. Now the need was real. But the solution is humanly impossible. And what are they going to do? In, in the middle of verse 37, they, they, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, a denarii is a day's wage. So they're saying, Lord, if, if we spent 200 days wage, now, again, you can figure out what you make a day, and, and multiply that by 200, you know, are we going to have to take, let's say, $10,000? And, and go out and uh, buy these people so that everybody can have a little bit. They're not even thinking about getting enough, maybe just enough to sustain them till they can get somewhere else. Now, then Jesus comes back with what, again, sounds ridiculous. It really does. Verse 38, but he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So, now, can you imagine being one of these disciples? You've got to go out there into this crowd of 20,000 people because the Lord has just asked you to do this and, they, and, and got it. hats off to these guys because they do obey what Jesus asked them to do. They know that, that he is, uh, 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 they're suspecting that he's the Messiah. He's, he's claiming to be the Son of God. Now, whether they really got all that figured out or not, they are his disciples and they do obey. And so he tells them, go out and, and find out who has any food out there. Now, What's funny is it's, just put yourself in that spot. You're, you're going out in, in this crowd of people, and you're yelling out, does anybody have anything to eat? And I don't know if, if you've ever had to, to make an announcement like this where you're looking for something, and everybody looks back at you with that stare like, you know, are you half crazy? What are you, what are you, what are you saying? Like nobody has anything. And, and 11 of the 12 come back with absolutely nothing. So they went out there and yelled out for people, do you have anything to eat? And nobody responds. Nobody has anything. But one guy comes back. His, we know from the Gospel of John, his name is Andrew, one of the 12 disciples. And so um, when they found out, we're in the middle of verse 38, it says they, they said five and two fish. We got five loaves, Lord, and we got two fish. Now, when you think loaves, don't think of the ones out at the grocery store. Um, think of like a roll. Okay, that's like a loaf. So we got five of these rolls, and we got two small fish. And, uh, Lord, that's, that's all we have. Matter of fact, in John's rendering of this, Andrew says, what are these among so many? And, and that makes complete sense. If you think about it, you're looking at a crowd of 15, 20,000 people, and, and you're looking around, and it's like, Lord, what, you know, we got five loaves, we got two fish, so uh, what's going to happen here? Now, at this part, uh, it's interesting how Jesus helps them when he gave this, this, this impossible command I want you to feed the multitude. The disciples' part was to go out there and gather all the possible resources, which is probably a very embarrassing thing to do, and almost completely fruitless. I mean, again, one guy comes back with a little boy's lunch. That's all, that all, that's all he's got. Now, Jesus' part then takes over at that point and says, When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. 
and the two fish he divided among them all. Now, can you imagine this? Jesus takes that little boy's offering and he multiplied it. Not only did he multiply it, but he completely met the need. Verse 42 says, they all ate and were filled. So it's not like we all got, uh, you know, a, a, a couple crumbs of, of bread and we got a, a you know, a, a thimble full of fish. What the scriptures are saying that Jesus did here, and uh, I'm, I'm convinced it's absolutely what happened, is Jesus kept multiplying that little boy's lunch until it fed everyone to the full. Everyone was filled up. That's what it says. Now, it goes beyond that, because not only did he multiply the offering and meet the need, but he, then he provided beyond the need, because it says, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now, I want you to stop and, and just think about this for a little bit, because um, we've been trying to look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 from the avenue of the disciples. And the disciples, uh, often as this is presented, and, and I, I don't blame people when they you know, try to put a, a thing of the life of Christ together. It's not, um, it's not easy. And, and I've never had to do it. And so uh, some of them out there are, are pretty bad, uh, but other ones have done a, a pretty good job. But whenever I've seen the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, there's a lot of rejoicing and jumping up and down. And we're all excited about what Jesus has done here. And I'm sure there were some people that felt that way. But that is not how it was if you were one of those 12 disciples. It is not. Uh, and I'll show you why I say that. In verse 45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. So he says to the fellows, um, and, and they had done a, a lot of work once the, the, bank, the, the, the second banquet begins. Remember, we had the first one with Herod in his palace. Well, this one out in the middle of the, of the wilderness, the disciples have done a lot of work now. They've had to, they've had to feed all these people. Uh, anyway, between 20, ten and, and 20,000 people, they've had to feed them. Then, by the way, uh, according to the Gospel of John's account, uh, Jesus said, um, I want you to gather up the fragments that nothing be lost. That's where the 12 baskets came in. So the disciples gathered that up too. So they went back around the area and they picked up all of the extra stuff that was left over when they had given out baskets that, that um, no one, everybody basically was saying, okay, we've had enough. We don't need any more. So they took all of those, gathered them together, and they filled up 12 baskets with that. So Disciples, once they got had to get serving, they had a lot to do. They had to feed all those people. They had to gather up all the fragments so that nothing was lost. Jesus didn't want anything wasted. That's when Jesus says to him, "Okay, guys, you you hop in the boat, and I'll I'll uh, send you. Uh, I'll, I'll get you guys out of here, and I'll dismiss the crowd." Now, something else was going on from one of the other gospels that you need to realize, and that is that there were. People now who were saying that we need to force Jesus to become king. I mean, he is doing so many wonderful things here that we need to we need to have him as our king right now. And um, uh, again, it's in some ways he's feeding the people. So 
it's it's like wow if we could we could have this kind of provision um, you know we we need him to reign over us and and to uh, overthrow Rome and all of that and so Jesus is going to have none of that matter of fact he's going to dismiss the crowd he's going to walk uh, he's going to uh, walk up the mountain and get away from the people after he dismisses them but he gets his disciples out of there now why could the disciples have actually gone along with this idea that we want Jesus to be king. And yeah, they wanted him to be king too. But he gets them out of there. You know, you, know, you, you guys head off. And so they've got more rowing to do now. And by the way, that's not going to go well. We'll have to get to that on a different week. But he sends them across the, the sea. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So now he dismissed the crowd. Then he goes up on a mountain and he's praying. So you'll notice our Lord is not asking the disciples to sacrifice greatly. And they've had to. They just lost a vacation. He's not asking them to do something that he's not doing himself. He gave up his vacation. He gave up his time away to spend with this crowd, to minister to them, to teach them, to heal their sick now he sent the disciples away. He's up on the mountain. He's gone up there to pray. Now when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw them straining at the rowing, for the wind was against them. And again, we'll get to this more next week, but uh, I want you to understand that, that these guys are really going through it. They're, 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 they've been uh, serving a number of people, and they've um, and, and so and now they're, they're, they're trying to get across. They're trying to obey the Lord to get across the sea, and it's not going well. A uh, big wind has kicked up. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them. The fourth watch of the night is like 3 to 6 a.m. These guys have been out in that ocean not ocean, I'm sorry, it's the Sea of Galilee. But they've been out in that body of water trying to get to the other side for hours. Now, I don't know if you've ever rowed a boat. I've done it a little bit. I'm not a big water person. But uh, that's not fun. Uh, after a while, you get out there and, and uh, uh, you're, you're straining. I, I enjoy it for a little bit, but it's not like I want to do this thing for hours. These guys, and they're fishermen, so they're, they may be used to it, but they're, they're struggling at this. And Jesus is walking on the sea toward them now. It says that when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. Now, I've never seen a ghost before, and I don't know that these guys had either, but if you're out there, you're straining for hours, you're thinking that, that this ship may go down, and then you see somebody coming across the water, I'd be wondering if that's the old death angel or something coming my way. I, I don't know. I think it'd be scary to me, too. And uh, so they're crying out in fear. For they all saw him and were troubled. Can you imagine somebody points him out and says, Look at that! And uh, so these guys are uh, they're on edge. And, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he, he went into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not... Now listen, this is where I wanted to end. They had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, I want you to think about that. Their heart was hardened. They didn't enjoy the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So I don't care how you watch it on television or in the movies, the, that was not a fun time for them. They were struggling with their attitude, which means they're, they're angry about something. Their heart's hardened. Why would what were the, you think they were angry with the crowd? If you were, if you were one of the disciples, 
would you be somewhat angry with with the crowd showing up like that? Uh, they ruined their little effort to be on vacation. Now, again, they, they may never, have not even thought about it, but when Jesus brought it up, and I know what that's like, when, boy, you get your hopes up, you're going to get away, you're going to have a little time, and then all of a sudden, that, that hope is dashed. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, that's true. Boy, you had your hopes up, yeah, let's say that you're, you're, you've had some serious exercise. You know, maybe you played some, some, some basketball or football or something, and you've been running around, you've had a great time. And you sit down, and you're sitting around, and, and someone suggests, hey, why don't we all go out for ice cream? Now, you didn't have any desire for ice cream while you're sit until someone suggested it. And now that everyone begins to talk it over, now you develop a strong desire to go out and get some. And then, as they talk it over more, the majority finally says, nah, I guess we won't. We'll, I guess we'll not go out there. Well, I will tell you, sometimes that gets pretty frustrating, because you got your hopes up, we say it that way. I think these disciples are pretty frustrated with the fact that, you know, we were just trying to get away a little bit, and the crowd uh, ruined all that. And wouldn't you ask yourself this? Why don't they think of us a little bit? Now, I know they want... This person has a loved one that needs healing or, or that issue. But, you know, why, why don't they think, why don't they realize that we need a little break every once in a while? Do you think they were angry with the crowd? I think they struggled with that. What about being angry with Jesus? You know, they had just been used by God to stir up interest in Christ. They had been given the privilege of preaching and doing miracles themselves. Now they had to be quiet again. And to listen to Jesus preach again, I'm sure that's not a big deal, but you know, maybe they heard Jesus teach the same thing before. Maybe some of them were beginning to think, hey, here's how I would phrase it now that I've had a chance to do my own preaching. Uh, when, when they asked Jesus at the, uh, toward the end of the day, Lord, send these people away. He doesn't take their suggestion. And said, instead, he says, no, I want, you to, I want you to serve them. He makes his preachers into waiters who go around and, and serve food. And remember that, that many of these people are probably not the nicest people. They're probably not. They're, you, you know, you, 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 can you imagine, you, you set them down, and, and, and how uh, one, of the, one of the gospel writers describe it, they set them down in 50s and 100s, okay? So you can imagine, you got, you got this group of people, and over here, this uh, uh, Joe over here is yelling, well, hey, you haven't got to us yet. And hey, it just seems like you're going to give a lot to that group over there. Are you going to have enough for us? Or, or uh, somebody drops one of the things. And, or, you can imagine that people aren't always the nicest when they're hungry. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes, being as kind as I ought to be when I'm hungry. Uh, Jesus um, is making these, these preachers into waiters again. They're, they're going around and just serving people. And I'm sure that's not all good. Some people actually use that as an excuse to get angry with the Lord, you know, and, and, and walk out of church. Well, the people aren't nice down there. Well, can, let's, 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 let's think about that for a minute. Do you want to have a church where only the nice can come? You know, should we have that? The first, uh, I'm a Baptist, first Baptist church of the nice. Okay, and if you're not nice, you don't get to come. So here's a person, and, and their loved one is not nice. The grandfather, he's been cranky all of his life, and he's kind of hard to get along with. 
And his granddaughter's been working on him to try to get him to know the Lord and to come to Christ for salvation. And finally gets Grandpa to come, and he says, all right, I'll come down to there at the old church. And, and he's walking through the door, and he makes some kind of a snide comment. Oh, you can't come. This is the church of the nice. Sorry, you've got to leave. I'm glad that we don't have church like that. And I have a lot of nice people in our church, but I, you know what? They, they shouldn't all be nice because you gotta, you got to reach some people that aren't that nice. Should they all be uh, washed and clean? Should they all be um, smelling beautiful before they can come to church? I mean, what do we expect? What does Satan sometimes put in our minds? Well, the people aren't nice down there. They're not, you know, there's some, some people down there that are a little bit different. I don't like them. Well, is, is, should, we, should we tell these people to go home? Isn't Christ for reaching everybody? Are they mad at Christ because he's now making them not only sit down and listen, which is, I, I, again, I don't think that's as big a deal, but then they've got to get up and they've got to serve. They've got to be waiters. Then, then they've got to be the cleanup crew. They've got to go around after everything is done, and they've got to gather up all the extra food and make sure that's not wasted. So Jesus made his tired and disappointed preachers into a cleanup crew. So while the crowd is rejoicing about being fed and praising Jesus for doing it, the tired disciples are serving with little to no thanks or recognition. They were the ones who before were, uh, just a few uh, uh, days before, they were the ones that everybody was listening to. The ones that everyone's eyes were on them. And now they're back where everyone's eyes are on Jesus. And they're just kind of in the background. I'm just telling you, as a human being, that's sometimes hard to deal with. And so here they are. They're out there cleaning up after the banquet for this huge multitude. So what was supposed to be a vacation day turns into a work day for these tired disciples. Now, what do we conclude from this? First of all, Jesus was suffering far more than they realized from the loss of John the Baptist, from the crowds themselves, what they were putting on him. And Christ loved them far more than they realized, too. Jesus cared about the selfish crowd more than uh, the vacation. And he was teaching his disciples something here, and that is you've got to care about the selfish crowd more than you care about yourself. Jesus helped the crowd. He fed them, didn't he? In fact, Jesus was modeling traits of selfless giving and compassion that he wanted his disciples to learn. They're supposed to catch something here. They haven't caught it right away, by the way. Their hearts are hardened. At first, they're rejecting this message that Jesus is giving them. God has the right to change my plans at any point, folks. And, and, and many of you have seen this. You had, you had some great plans of what you were going to do. And all of a sudden, there's a heart attack. All of a sudden, a loved one dies. All of a sudden, there's a car accident. And all those plants are gone. They're out the window. You don't even, they're, they're, they're just minutia at this point. God has the right to change our plans. God may call us to serve, by the way, to the point of exhaustion. Can I ask you a question, though? Do you ever work to the point of exhaustion? Do you feel bad about that? No, you probably feel good about that. Have you ever played to the point of exhaustion? Maybe you were in a race and you gave it everything you had. Boy, at the end of the race, you were absolutely, completely wiped out. Well, don't you think it's even a greater privilege to be able to serve God to the point of exhaustion? But the focus needs to always be on Christ. And we all like to say that's where it should be, but I'm just telling you 
that when the eyes have been on you, and now the eyes are going somewhere else, it's not always easy to take. Because, but it is always, always, always a privilege to serve the Lord, whether I'm listening in a humble manner, whether I'm waiting on people who are selfish and maybe not that kind, or whether I'm cleaning up after them. It is always a privilege to serve the Lord. So let me give you a couple questions as we wrap this up. Is it okay with you if God changes your plans? How about this one? Is it okay with you if God calls you to serve selfish people? By the way, that's mostly what we have to work with. Would you have God make an exception for you? No, don't, don't, give, don't give Joe their uh, selfish people because he can't handle them. Give them to Mary. Let Mary handle it because she can handle it. Do, do we want God to do that for us? Um, after success, is it okay if God humbles you? That's what he's doing with these disciples. Is it okay with you? If God works you hard, and then he takes the glory. Because people are not walking away talking about the disciples on this day. They're talking about Jesus, but shouldn't they? Shouldn't they be talking about him? So God calls his children, if you're one of them. What I mean by that is if you've been born again, you've repented of your sin, Christ is your Savior, he calls you to serve whenever he calls upon you to do so. He calls you to serve whether or not you're appreciated. And he calls you to serve for his glory, not yours. Get the picture. It's like being a criminal who has sinned multiple times against God. You deserve his wrath and hell. God forgives you, saves you. And then he says this. You know what? I'm not only going to save you. I'm going to give you a chance to serve me. And let me tell you something. Grab that opportunity. It is a privilege. May the Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday morning. Can you understand why Jesus' disciples were angry? Their opportunity for some downtime with Christ away from the crowds was snatched away from them at the last minute. It must have made for a frustrating day. Can you not also see that Jesus was teaching them a very important lesson? They were being called to serve Christ and others, whether it inconvenienced them, whether they were thanked by the masses they helped, and whether they received any special recognition. These were some tough but important truths. We too have some major truths to learn from this miracle. We need to see that God's work is about His agenda, not ours. We need to settle in our hearts that all the glory for God's work rightfully goes to Jesus. It's totally proper that our Savior should be getting all the attention, even if that means we are not thanked for our service for the Lord. Further, though some of the roles that God may ask us to play in His work can be boring and difficult, serving God is always a privilege. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So when God calls you or me to serve his people, even if they are selfish, ungrateful, and unkind, we're only reflecting the great love Christ has for us. He is our prime example of selfless love. Therefore, the feeding of the 5,000 is about more than Jesus' ability to multiply resources and feed people. It's also a great lesson in the selfless love we are called to if we wish to minister to others in the spirit of our Savior. If you would like some spiritual help like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to this podcast is at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. And ever- 
everlasting life and light, he frees.